You're listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes at Lyric Opera of Chicago. Backstage at Lyric features in-depth interviews with singers, conductors, and creative talents at one of the world's great opera companies. For additional podcast interviews, subscribe to our RSS feed or visit us online at lyricopera.org. Choreographer Harrison McEldowney is backstage at Lyric. The actors have been amazing. They're not afraid to move in and out of the chorus and to move upstage through bodies of people. Uh, they're not sort of playing the stereotypical diva-ish role of wanting to be downstage and having everybody stand 50 feet away from them. They love connecting with and touching the people in the chorus and uh, um, and having them to play off of. And it's, it's really ma- making for a very dynamic production. Thank you for downloading this episode of Backstage at Lyric. I'm Roger Pines of Lyric Opera of Chicago. The new production of Verdi's Macbeth at Lyric Opera marks the company debut of Harrison McEldowney. He's Chicago-based and has worked with Hubbard Street Dance Company, Hubbard Street 2, River North Chicago Dance, the Chicago Shakespeare Festival, and many other performing arts companies throughout the city. His work has also been seen at Carnegie Hall, in the closing ceremonies of the Barcelona Olympics, and in the musical The Hot Mikado in London's West End. Harrison and I recently spoke about his involvement in the Macbeth production team and about other major highlights of his career to date. Before we get to that conversation, here's the story of Verdi's Macbeth. In Scotland, Macbeth, Thane of Glamis, is astonished when witches predict that he's fated to become first Thane of Cawdor and then King of Scotland. At the same time, they predict that none of woman born shall harm Macbeth. Macbeth's friend, Banquo, is greeted by the witches as the founder of a future line of kings. Shortly thereafter, a messenger from the king informs Macbeth that he has been named Thane of Cawdor. He informs his wife about what's happened. She exhorts him to fulfill the prophecy by murdering Duncan, the king, who's a guest at Macbeth's castle. Macbeth does just that, and ambition then leads him to have Banquo murdered, but Banquo's son escapes. Macbeth returns to the witches, who warn him to beware of Macduff. At his wife's urging, he has Macduff's family killed, but Macduff raises an army of refugees who have been persecuted by the tyrant Macbeth. Consumed by guilt, Lady Macbeth dies. Macbeth is finally slain by Macduff, who reveals that he was not of woman born, but from his mother's womb untimely ripped. Malcolm, Duncan's son, is proclaimed King of Scotland. Now, on to the interview with choreographer Harrison McEldowney. I hope you enjoy it. I'm with Harrison McEldowney, who's making his lyric opera debut, and I think his operatic debut in this production of Macbeth that opens our season lyric opera. It is your operatic debut, isn't it? As a choreographer. I've danced in operas um, across the country, and it's the first time I've uh, choreographed one here for the lyric. Now, this Macbeth is being directed by Barbara Gaines, artistic director of Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and I know you've worked at CST in the past. Were those productions directed by Barbara? Yes, always with Barbara, and I actually worked with her when they were in the Ruth Page building, and uh, then also a couple of the productions when they moved to Navy Pier. What were those productions that you worked on for Shakespeare? Uh, Some of them were. uh, I did The Tempest with her, uh, which involved some people from this production team. Robert lit that, and um, All's Well That Ends Well, 
and Anthony and Cleopatra I did at Navy Pier. Oh, that was the production that opened the new theater, wasn't it? Yes, yes. Now, when Barbara first spoke to you about being part of the Macbeth production team, what did she say to you about how she was envisioning the role of movement in this production? We knew almost immediately that there was only one ballet or one piece of ballet music in the score that had been cut and that the opera was not going to use a traditional dance core in the sense of the way that operas use them. Uh, And then she wanted to integrate actors, which would bring a different sort of layer of depth and character to the piece. And uh, because the singing is such an important element and the singers have to be stationary for a lot of what they do for voices and sound, they would also add... A, a physical element, these actors, uh, that would support all of the singing. And I was very excited about that prospect. And we have a group of amazing actors who went through a long audition process with myself and Barbara and did a lot of improvisation and a lot of the discovery of movement that they brought to the table we've used inside the opera as we're staging it now. So I was very excited about the prospect, and I said yes to Barbara without hesitation. Let's talk about the then these three different groups that you're working with. You're working with actors, you're working with chorus, and you're working with principals. So can you talk about the different work that you're doing with each group? Yes, the um, the chorus has actually been phenomenal. We've come in with an ambitious idea of the way we wanted to stage things. Like the witches, you want to have a sense of movement and a, a quality of movement and character, and the chorus women have adapted to that beautifully, and we've had to modify very little of what our plan was for them. And uh, they've been fantastic. And uh, then the chorus men, there isn't a part for them that has the same sort of feeling as the women as the witches. So I haven't dealt with them as much in terms of movement. The actors play several roles. They do assassins. They're also part of the witches. And they're also soldiers. So the battle scene, for example, is actually done with large flags. Macbeth is black and Malcolm is white. And the battle is represented through this large sort of choreographed flag um, battle where you see the white flags continue to infiltrate and overtake the black flags till all white flags representing Malcolm and having conquered and defeated Macbeth are on stage. So the actors, we put a lot of demands on them in terms of the physical. And then the principals have been absolutely amazing. Barbara has worked with them more than I have in their scenes, and when we've integrated them with the chorus where I've joined and Barbara have I, and I have joined forces to add her scene work into the chorus coming into those scenes, the actors have been amazing. They're not afraid to, uh, the principals, they're not afraid to move in and out of the chorus and to move upstage through bodies of people. Uh, They're not sort of playing the stereotypical diva-ish role of wanting to be downstage and having everybody stand 50 feet away from them. They love connecting with and touching the people in the chorus and and having them to play off of. And it's it's really making for a very dynamic production. Now, in this kind of production where the period is not as absolutely specific as it usually is in opera or in theater, I should think that very element would give you a fair amount of leeway and freedom in how you choose to create movement. For the movie. Would you agree with that? I totally agree with that. It's uh, we, We've been able to, uh, again, I always want actors, chorus, everybody to be comfortable in their skin. So we've left a great deal of it free. We've set some things and we've said, okay, we want you to, we want the witches there. To us, there's a sense of eroticism in how they move and the joy in what their work is. So we told the women we wanted them to move very slowly and that way each one of the women of the chorus was able to interpret that that for themselves. And then we set 
certain parameters and still the movement comes from them. So it's not me dictating to them, oh, you do this thing. And then it's something that's not in their body type or in their body. So that's been something that's been very cool to me. And we've sort of individualized that for everybody. Barbara's emphasized to each member of the chorus and each member of the actors to emotionally be significant and individual rather than a chorus of 72 people who are reacting and acting the same, which you see so often. And then there's no individuality or no sort of raw emotion brought to it. So she's really turned it into an actor's piece for everybody. I think it's wonderful that you can work with opera singers as if they are actors. There doesn't seem to be any sort of distance between what they're doing and what you're doing. I mean, because sometimes a singer, you'll get a singer and they'll say, oh, I have to be in this position to sing this particular high note. And it doesn't sound like that is a part of this at all. No, it's. You're, I agree with you. It's been fantastic. And they relish it. They're so open to the idea of that individuality. And in a scene, all of a sudden, you'll see one of them do something. And Barbara and I have been moved to tears several times. It's like, oh, in the refugee scene, somebody will react to something in a way or they'll hold and comfort each other in a way that you're like, they bring so much to it. And Barbara, in a wonderful way for them as actors, has related to so much of what's happening to us today. Like when we were doing the refugee scene, she was like, my God, look at what's happening. All the countries where there are people that we describe as refugees from the people who suffered what they did in New Orleans to the people in Haiti. So everybody has something to relate it to emotionally on what we're experiencing in our own world. And they bring that to their work and their craft on the stage in this production of Macbeth, which is about tyrannical and people being misplaced and bloodlust and all of the themes we find in modern society today, unfortunately. Um, have there been moments when you have uh, – that, that you found particularly revelatory? You just mentioned um, one thing that Barbara said, but I'm wondering if, you have, if you've seen all of her knowledge of Shakespeare sort of kicking in, uh, in, in, in working on this production where you said – she's able to give us that because of all this incredible background that she has in Shakespeare. Well, it is, and in, 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 and it's that exact same thing, so I'm going to be a little bit repetitive. In the work that I've done with her in Shakespeare, she gets what she gets out of the actors because she's a re- she relates it to so many modern themes. Even if it's a piece that's a period piece or that she's doing in the time of Shakespeare, the period that he wrote it in, all of those things are relevant to us today in our society, to things that we experience, to cataclysmic events like a 9-11 or anything like that. And Shakespeare had all those themes inside of his work. So Barbara relates it to something that people who may not be familiar with Shakespeare can immediately attach themselves to. And it's really been fantastic to see, and it's really brought it to life. And uh, and I have to say, Tom and Nadia, are um, she works in a wonderfully incredibly collaborative way. She wants the actor's input. So she comes in with a, a, a framework and an idea and then they work and they mold and they gel and they, those are two actors that don't want to be told, go to stage left, go to stage right. They talk about it and I've, the, watching the process has actually been the thing that's been revelatory for me. And then they're like, let's get up on our feet. Let's see what happens. And then things come out of it you never expected that are beautiful, amazing, dynamic pictures that I think the audience will be like, will gasp, that will be uh, very dramatic and beautiful and emotional to them. I'd like to ask you about a couple of other projects that you've been involved in, beginning with a major motion picture, The Road to Perdition. Can you describe your work 
in that. Uh, yes, it was uh, – Sam Mendez is such a genius and I wish I had been able to spend more time with him and, and learn from him more. And he was very gracious knowing we both have done musical theater. He did cabaret with Rob Marshall and we sort of connected over that past. Rob and I had danced together years and years ago. So Sam and I would spend some of the lunches and he was gracious with his time and talk about work. Um, Sam found me actually through submission of a lot of Chicago choreographers and I happened – the work that was submitted for me happened to be totally un- related to the movie and he found enough sort of humor in it that he was like, I just want to meet that guy. I want to see what he's like or his work is interesting to me. And we hit it off immediately and he was like, you could do this. There was one scene in the movie that's a very long take that moves all the way through a, a single camera moves all the way through a warehouse and several rooms and a bar and one of the places that it comes upon is sort of a speakeasy-ish room and people are dancing and drinking and then it continues through a back room to a brothel and finally an office. So I did the choreography within that particular scene. Uh, and it was great because he, like Barbara, everything comes from a from a dramatic and a context. And it's so easy for dance to be contrived in film and people to be very charleston and kind of very thoroughly modern Millie. And he was like, no, it has to look real. They're, they're drunken and, and they would know no real form of dance. How would they freestyle if they were hearing jazz music? And how would they move among each other? And it was, uh, it was fascinating to watch his process and directing what I feel like was a very significant sequence, that long shot in that movie. And it took us about 13 takes to accomplish that. Uh, the 13th one, which uh, his production assistant called. She was like, it's going to be 13 was great and he was really great to work with now you know we're doing the Mikado here this season well, yes. you, did a, you did a show called the hot Mikado I believe in London yes what is the difference between that and a standard Mikado it's an amazing production the music is of course Gilbert and Sullivan and it was rearranged by an amazing arranger and musical director Rob Bowman and the show was written and directed by David Bell so what they did is they took Mikado and set it in the late 30s, 40s, and they turned all the music into swing music. So all the gentlemen of Japan wear zoot suits. All the ladies of Japan are in like the the platformed Joan Crawford shoes with padded shoulders and and with uh, hairdos that have the snoots and everything. And it's very jazzy and great. And uh, the people that we were very afraid of taking it had been done at Ford's Theater in Washington, I believe is where it originated. Uh, They'd done it several other places. We were very frightened of it going to the West End in London because the English were so protective of Gilbert and Sullivan. And uh, it played over there and was um, an audience seemed to be very receptive to it and and loved it. And the production has a great life. You see of a lot of theaters. And I believe somebody in Chicago recently did it or is getting ready to do it again. And it's a wonderful, wonderful production. Now, what is your association with the Olympic Games? Actually, the same director who did Hot Mikado, David Bell, and I worked together for a great number of years. He's here now at Northwestern and also directs a lot at Chicago Shakespeare Theater and is a good friend of Barbara's. He was asked to do – he was living in Atlanta at the time working at the Alliance Theater. And uh, so Atlanta asked him to do their representation of the Barcelona closing games. The next summer games were going to be in Atlanta, and that city always gets to be represented and unveil their mascot. Uh, so Dave and I worked together. We worked with the great, great dancer and choreographer Greg Burge uh, from Broadway. And uh, the three of us went all over the country and under David's aegis and hired gymnasts, dancers, 
cheerleaders who could do um, like those incredible like what they call basket tosses and throws. And we did a representation of a summer Olympics. So the gymnasts would throw girls high above silk, blue silks and it would look like they were diving into the water. And uh, it was to show the games coming to the summer games coming to Atlanta. And uh, that was a great experience. And we did it at the closing of the Barcelona games in that stadium. And as everyone knows, after the closing, everybody takes to the field. So we were on the field with all the Olympians and people from all these countries and everybody in the countries are exchanging pins. They have pins from their uh, different countries with their country's flag. And it was a phenomenal experience. Now, you have been associated with a lot of dance companies in Chicago. So how do you view the whole dance scene in this city by comparison to what's going on in the rest of the country? Are we state-of-the-art or do we have a ways to go? Where, where do we sort of fit? I find Chicago to be very unique because Chicago is a place a lot of dancers have come here that have had careers in New York, Los Angeles, uh, dancers who are starting their careers. And we have a lot of major companies. Hubbard Street, who has been through a lot of changes, it started out under the aegis of Lou Conti and was uh, very jazzy. And and then uh, they started to move into the work of like Twyla Tharp. Then Jim Vincent came in from Netherlands and they started to infuse a lot of European choreographers. So Hubbard Street has progressed and changed in a way that is absolutely keeping up with the way that dance is moving. And with all the amazing choreographers like Nacho Duato and Ohad Naharin from Batsheva and Yuri Killian, the choreographers that people are really wanting to see that are creating great contemporary inspirational works. Uh, then you have like a Joffrey. And Joffrey has changed a great deal over the years. And their home now is in Chicago. And they're not only doing classical ballet, they're bringing in Again, great contemporary choreographers, and they do very diverse repertory in addition to the classical story ballets and the classic pieces of Gerald Arpino and Robert Joffrey, which they still infuse into their rep um, and who were groundbreaking in terms of what they did for in the name of ballet. Then you have all these amazing, there are over 100 companies in this city, dance companies. I just did Dance for Life and was sort of exploring using dancers from different companies and discovered there is this they're all these companies and they all do something unique and individual and it's their own expression of what they want to do and that's what makes Chicago to me unique in the dance scene people come here and they find a way to do what they want to do in their craft and art if they don't fit in at a Hubbard Street or they don't fit in at a Joffrey or that's not their idea of dance and art they make their own and there are over a hundred companies in the city that are doing that and doing it successfully and have a voice and have audiences and that's what I feel makes this city very unique in dance Well, on that very positive note I want to thank you for speaking with us and I want to wish you the best of luck with Macbeth. You're so welcome. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure. You've been listening to Backstage at Lyric, the podcast that takes you behind the curtain at Lyric Opera of Chicago. For additional interactive content and to order tickets, visit us online at lyricopera.org. <laughs>